Welcome to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Making Laps Podcast. I am your host, Brent Gleason. Now, in our last episode, we'd made mention that we were going to eventually have on the creator of the most recent Ted Christopher Life and Career documentary, the man named Bonsa Tufa, on the show eventually because he had been on a podcast already and we didn't want to step on their toes and do the professional thing and give them a little time. However, we kind of got to talking and decided that, hey, why don't we record one now as he's busy on Mondays? We ran so far over time, not really over time, a conversation was very good, that we decided to make it into a special episode. Now, this documentary was released on June 5th, and it was Ted and Mike's birthday. It was a Saturday, and it's only been up for about, as of recording, four days and it's already garnered about 10,000 views on YouTube. It's just a phenomenal piece of, of art and, and a, just a genuinely amazing achievement. And so Phil Jakes and I sat down and we recorded our call with Bonsa Tufa. And the following is that call. And we really hope you enjoy it. All right. So with us right now is, uh, what would you call yourself? Director, producer? Uh, whatever of the and editor and editor of the new Ted Christopher documentary about his uh, life and career, uh, Bonsa Tufa is with us. Uh, Jesse couldn't be with us, but uh, I still got Phil with us as well. Um, uh, screw you, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, you and your job that you just got back. <laughs> That's some long hours, man. He must have gone in early this morning. He's probably put in twelve hours today, so I shouldn't say anything about him because. I shouldn't say anything either because I went to uh, forget it. I was going to say I went to work for like four hours today and get paid for nine. So whatever. Um, so anyway, with us, it's not about us. <laughs> with us is Bonsa. Uh, welcome. I'm glad we could get you on. Uh, I know that you were just on, I believe, Race Day CT's uh, podcast to talk about it. And I was going to have you on. And then I'm like, I don't want to step on their toes. So I figured I'd come and bring you on for the next week. And it's like, well, I just, you know, just I didn't want to take something away from anybody. So <laughs> welcome to our little show, I suppose. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I was listening to your guys' episode that just came out, and I heard Jesse talking crap about me, and I was like, oh, well, I guess <laughs> I could go on this show then. Um, no, but I really do appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, I was completely down to be on the podcast. I mean, I've worked with you guys, and I love being with you guys, so it's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. I don't think anybody's ever said it was an honor to be on our show. <laughs> I'm only saying that to make Sid happy. Gotcha. I've heard a couple of people say it's a disgrace, but... I would say that. <laughs> I would say that, because the majority of the people who come up to us typically say, oh, you guys aren't professional enough, and I'm like, well, you're not wrong, I guess, so... That's um, what makes it fun. Yeah, so anyway, um, I've never really... I've seen you around, I've spoke to you, worked with you, done all sorts of stuff, but... I don't know anything about you. So it's like, okay, why don't we start at the beginning and say, where are you from? How'd you get involved in racing? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, no problem. I am from Maryland, actually. I am not a Connecticut native, native in any way. I've lived in Maryland for most of my life. Fun fact, I was actually born in England. Nobody would ever guess that. But I don't have a British accent, so that disappoints everyone. Anyways, I've been a NASCAR fan since 2004. Uh, Tony Stewart was my favorite driver since week two because he won at Watkins Glen after crapping in his fire suit. And I've been hooked ever since. I forgot so about I've that been, story. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been following NASCAR since then, week to week, every single year. But I've never been to a racetrack before because being in Maryland, Maryland's not a big racing state. I mean, you got Hagerstown, which is like a half mile dirt track. Potomac has a little clay track. You have Dominion down in Virginia, Langley, which is like three hours away from where my family lives now. But, you know, cup-wise, the nearest track is Richmond three hours away. We tried going to Richmond one time, and my mom called the ticket office, and she asked for a ticket price and hung up immediately. So that was <laughs> discouraging. So I had never been to a racetrack before, and I wanted to be in broadcast and production. That was, that's my goal in life, as you could probably tell now. So... 
I knew if I wanted to do racing stuff, I had to go to a local short track. I was well aware of that. By then, I had gotten my undergrad degree at Towson, which is near Baltimore, Maryland. So it was around that time I'm thinking, all right, I might have to try grad school. So I was looking up graduate schools, also looking up what racetracks are nearby. And the school, Quinnipiac, came up here in Hamden, Connecticut, just north of New Haven. They have a sports journalism program, plus they have connections with ESPN, Bristol, and so on. And I saw that, you know, back then Stafford was NASCAR sanctioned. So I looked up on the NASCAR home track site. There's a track called Stafford Speedway. So I went to their website. It's an hour away from Quinnipiac, which is no problem. I drove an hour to school in undergrad all the time. And I saw their broadcast internship program. And I'm thinking, wow, Jack Root used to work here. Heck, Jack Root Sr. owned the damn place. You have Kyle Ricky, who I listen to to this day on MRN. Mike Joy, who's one of my favorite broadcasters of all time. Alan Beswick has done stuff here before. He's one of my favorites. Mike Massar, the list goes on. I'm like, man, this is a proven place for this type of stuff. So I hit up Lisa Root. I hit up Jeremy Wise, who supervises the broadcast interns. And I asked, you know, when I come to campus, when I come to Connecticut in August, can I join you guys? And they said, yeah, sure, no problem. So my first day at Stafford was August 9th, 2019, also known as the week after Doug Kobe's infamous F-bomb in the wheel and tour race. <laughs> so, you know, I came to Stafford, and one of the first people that approached me was Lisa Root and Tom Fox. I mean, they like, I didn't approach them. They approached me, and it helped me feel at home because I'm the only like, – I don't know anybody in Stafford. I don't know a single soul. It's crazy how far I've come since then, I guess. But one thing I noticed was there were 13 flags everywhere. And so I asked somebody, well, what's the 13? They said, have you heard Ted Christopher? And I was like, yeah, because in the mid to late 2000s, Speed Channel used to broadcast the tour races. They would tour, they would broadcast New Hampshire, and that's what made me fall in love with Modified, is the tour race at Loudoun. They showed Bristol when the tour race there, and then Daytona on the backstretch, which was, which was usually a crap show. But anyways, so back then, the drivers I knew, Ted Christopher, when he was driving for Whalen, Donnie Lee driving the Mystic Missile. Todd Zegedy driving the two-car before Doug Kobe took it over. Mike Stefanik before he was known as that this is BS, you know, that he did at Daytona. Like, those were the drivers I heard about because they were competing up front every single week. You know, it was, it was just before Bonsignor and Kobe and such. You know, Ronnie Silk was, was around back then, too. So that's how I heard of Ted Christopher. I knew he was good. And when he when he passed, because I remember the night he passed, it was even shocking for me, even though I'm not a diehard modified guy at that time, because I knew he was a big deal. But I didn't know how legendary he was until I came to Stafford and learned about his records, learned about what he did. You know, the three tap rule I heard about, the mystique days I heard about, but the wins that he got, the championships, not just at Stafford, at Thompson, at Waterford, in the tour. Just all the accolades he had and then learning about Mike Christopher Jr. being the second generation to Christopher that's still racing now. And the fact that Ted had a twin brother. It's like that type of stuff I didn't know about. And I came to realize that Ted is kind of like the New England version of Dale Earnhardt. A lot of people say that. And their careers parallel a lot. I, I won't go into too much detail, but guys who came from very little became very successful through hard work, late slumps in their career late resurgences after those slumps that we never got to see in full because they both died before we, you know, got to see them race to the end of their career, you know, polarizing driving styles, hated on the track by many, but loved off the track by a lot, that type of stuff. And I'm like, this is a guy who is very documentary worthy, you know? And I know Ted, there was a Ted Christopher tribute, tribute by Stafford a couple of days after he passed and Mark DeMar Jr. did a 10-minute video on Ted, and that was fine. Shout out to them. But I was thinking a full documentary on not just the driver, Ted Christopher, but the man himself, because it's two different sides of Ted. And people in racing, you know, the casual fans that go to a track in the grandstands, they don't know the human side of Ted. So I thought to myself, why don't I try this? At first, I thought it was going to be 30 minutes to an hour. Boy, was I effing wrong in hindsight. But at the same time, I was hitting my capstone for my graduate school. And for those who don't know, capstone's like your final project where you take everything that you learned from school and put it together into one, in my case, multimedia project. It could be an article, video, whatever. And that's your final assignment, final 
you know, final exam, you could say, before graduating. So I said, hey, let's kill two birds with one stone. I can make this doc and use it for my capstone. It's way more than my capstone required, but I'm insane enough to do it. So that's kind of how that idea came about. I kind of jumped a few steps there because I'm pretty sure you were going to ask how the doc got started, but there you go. Yeah. I was going to also ask, how long was the process in putting together all the materials and having to get all the interviews? And uh, I know the editing process is just Mm -hmm. an unbelievably long process. Um, Again, how did that come about? Like, how did that work work out for you in in terms of like scale, like in time? Oh, man. Uh, Well, I, I really started getting into it last summer. And keep in mind, by last summer, I'd only been around at Stafford for like seven months. I'm still a new kid. So by then I had new Mike Christopher Jr., Mike Christopher Sr., and Jen Christopher because I did a video on Mike Jr.'s first SK win months before. So they knew me. So I knew that they were the first people I had to talk to because that's Ted's family. And then I realized, oh, Ted had a wife, Quinn. And Quinn had a drive for safety initiative at Stafford last year where she was giving away uh, fireproof undershirts for the drivers. And so I went to Quinn at Stafford and said, this is what I want to do. And they said, sure, sounds great. So I really got started in August of 2020. But when I say that, like, Quinn was my first interview. And I interviewed a couple other people between, like, August and October. But most people weren't available because it's racing season. You know, they were busy. So I let them have their space. Things really picked up in December last year uh, when I was on winter break and when the racing season had slowed down and everyone was in the off season. December was when I really started ramping up the interviews and people started telling me who I should get. I I knew I was going to get the Christophers. I knew I was going to get in a route, preferably Lisa. I knew I was going to get, you know, a team member of some sort. And that's where the names like Sean Waddell, Michael O'Sullivan came up. Fellow competitors, Doug Kobe, Woody Pitcat. And I got drivers who are, you know, older, like Dan Avery, those like Woody Pitcat, Doug Kobe, you know, the middle. And then you had the younger drivers like Narducci and Bassett, you know, trying to get all all ends of that in terms of the age spectrum. And then the Aroots told me, why don't you get Jim Galanti? I'm like, oh boy. Jim? I because like, Jim I'm had live low. Him. Huh? I'm really shocked you got Jimmy, but even though I know he probably would have been open to it, but uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm just surprised. He lied low for so long. He yeah. lied low for so long since he came out of jail. He was very low key. He was very private. But I called this propane business that he has. I think it's in New York, just across the border. And eventually, he called me back, which surprised me within ten minutes. And he said he'd love to do it. And I'm like, holy cow! Like, I just got Jim Galanti. Like, that's huge. And then, you know. Getting Lisa Root is big because, you know, the Roots meant so much to Teddy and vice versa. So to be able to get Lisa was big. I never thought I was going to get Ted's mother, Lucy, or his sister, Judy, who many people don't know. Ted has a sister, but they were down to do it. Even getting Jen Christopher, who you know, even though, you know, sister-in-law to Ted, she was with Ted at the racetrack all the time after Mike Sr. had stopped racing. So... That all was like in the December, January, February, March timeframe, those interviews. I would do two, three interviews per week going from Danbury up to Foxborough. It was a lot of driving, a lot of carrying equipment, but you got to do what you got to do. So then, yeah, that was about a three-month span, I would say. And then getting the videos, I mean, I have videos dating back to the 80s because Ken Meisenhelder from KGM, who filmed all the races back in the 80s and 90s, he came through so big for me and for Stafford, giving us the tapes for us to convert into digital form. And then Jen Christopher had a bunch of tapes that Ted and Mike's father, Bill Christopher, used to film from the 80s. A lot of home video from the track, from their home. You know, the cart video from 1980 at Plainville. Like, where are the odds of getting that? Like, stuff like that is just, it was so amazing. They kept it all, and they were able to let me use it. So it took about three or four months of that, like, gathering the interviews and the video and the pictures. And then I finally started editing probably around March, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, it's the amount of material in there that, geez, I think everybody hasn't seen is off the charts. Like, I know... 
uh, Sid or Tom DiMaggio, he's been working on his documentary project for years and years. We've been working on, on and off on that thing with him, but he's been basically putting all of his effort into that for years and years and getting a whole ton of stuff. But for you to get all of this stuff in such a short amount of time, people must have been really, really uh, enthused about this type of project. And it shows because the amount of quality material that you managed to get out of it was incredible. It's crazy in hindsight. And I remember I was talking, I've talked to Sid a couple times, actually multiple times because I asked for his advice on documentaries because he did, you know, the Waterford Speedball history series. And what, what made it really hard at the end was that I was a few weeks away from my capstone deadline. So I had to submit it before my capstone deadline, which was in April, late April. And during, we had open practice at Stafford before the season started. And somebody tested positive for COVID and I was a close contact. So I had to quarantine for a week and I edited at Stafford. I didn't edit at home. I did it at Stafford. So I missed a whole week of editing because I had to quarantine wait for a COVID test to come out. And I had to wait five days. So that put me so far behind that out of the two and a half hours that doc, I did the final two hours within the last two weeks. Jeez. I was I was at the track almost every day for two weeks, 12, 10 to 12 hours per day. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I was almost thinking you were going to pull 24-hour days and just get takeout all the time. That's what the Aroots thought, I can tell you that. <laughs> now, I have a question. Um, yeah. I know you've you've said that you weren't around for basically until like last year, most of the time, or two years, or a year and a half ago or something like that, but... Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if it was better for you to gain these sorts of connections being, I don't want to say an outsider, but I'd say a new person to the scene. And uh, because I'm thinking in my head and I'm like, well, I have history with a lot of people who probably won't talk to me because I've been in racing for 20 years (laughs) and I've probably done some dumb things and probably said the wrong thing. Like, Back in like 04, 05, we managed to really anger Mark Root at some point. And uh, it was only like one race that we'd ever run. And we got into a fight so bad that they had to call us the next day to see if it was okay. So I'm like, if I was trying to do this, I wonder if that would be more difficult. But I think for you, with a lot of enthusiasm like this, I bet you it was probably a lot easier to pull off. I don't know why. I just started thinking about that. Well, it's a little bit different for me because I do work at Stafford. Mm, that's, That's true. So... You know, I, I work for them and I developed such a good relationship with the Aroots and, you know, I'm, I mainly work with Paul and he and I interact so well and we kind of feed off each other. And, you know, the end of 2019, I, I didn't do much. You know, I was mainly recording Nicola Rose's post-race interviews. But then, you know, in the off season, I started traveling to shops, doing videos and that. And I think that's when people started to realize that I was truly like wanting to do this. Like there was a passion there because we hadn't had contact content like that on our Stafford YouTube page for a, a while. And Stafford's social media is great. It's just that video content of, you know, behind the scenes, not just race highlights. And so people started seeing me do videos about Andrew Moeller's first SK win or Nikki Shambrello flipping one week and then coming back to win the next, those type of videos. And people started to realize who like I am because people, a lot of people knew me more than I knew them. I, I didn't know many people. So, and you know, Paul and them made sure that they gave me a shout out for those videos. So my name went out there. And so some people knew who I was, even though we never met. And they saw what I could do, I guess. I guess they saw the potential. And I think that's what made it a little bit easier for me is that, and for me is that, you know, I don't give my opinions about what go on, goes on the track. And that's because, like, I'm not a driver. I'm not you guys. You know, everyone has an opinion on what goes on track. But I know that that is not my place to give an opinion. So I hold back on that because I respect the drivers. I respect the track operators. I respect those who do what they do that – I want to learn from them instead of talking about them, you know, given like in a negative way. So the fact that I am willing to learn and not talk, I think goes a long way and that people see that I truly want to do this and that I have respect and I care. And I think that made the process easier because, you know, 
when I did the documentary, when I do these interviews, I let them tell the story. I don't intervene saying, oh, can you sit like, can you, like, I want this specific sound by blah, like, I just let them tell the story and they see that and they realize, okay, this guy really means it. Like he wants it to be this way. And that goes with the doc and that, I don't know if you noticed, not a single piece of narration, not one piece of narration at doc. And that's exactly as intended because I want the people to tell the story because that's who matters. The drivers matter, the track opera, everyone matters except me as messed up as that sounds. So I think people saw that, and that's why it made it so much easier for me than maybe per se you, because I try I don't do anything or say anything that might be controversial because it's not my place to say something like that. Coming from experience, I'll say that uh, giving your opinion is not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> not a great idea. Um, but well, because- one one question I had was, yeah, who is the most enjoyable to interview who gave the most information and just wanted to keep telling stories mm. and I, I, I have a couple of different answers because of a couple of different ways sean waddell my interview with sean any, anyone who knows sean he can talk about anything for as long as he wants and that's great i'd rather have too much than too little that's what i always say better to have too much been too little sean talked his interview was two and a half hours it was a long interview but like a lot of what and that's why he was on the dock so much because a lot of the stuff he said was good like he had good like his he had great bites that i could use in the dock and he knew ted since he was a teenager so that was up there as one of the most enjoyable i'd say my interview with the plainville group i think was special because you know if there was one part of Ted's career that people don't really know about, it's his early years, you know, when he was younger, a kid, a teenager, right. when he did wrestling, the cards. They were able to tell the story of Ted when he was younger and how Ted and Mike used to beat the living daylights out of each other and such. And they were just – it was a conversation between those six guys, and that's what made it so good. Jim Galante was fantastic. Jim Galante, and he still has that, you know, that badass look that he had back in the Mystique days. But he, you know, he looks so serious, but then he would laugh. He would joke and whatnot. And it, was, it just, none of, like, every interview was good in their own ways. Jen Christopher, you know, she's behind the scenes a lot. You know, a lot of people don't really see Jen around because she just, it's Mike Jr., Mike Sr., and, she, and she's just in the back letting them take care of their thing. Her interview was two hours long. Never would have figured that if you didn't know Jen, but I knew I was going to get that from Jen because she knew Ted for that long. So, right, I, like that's probably some of the best interviews. But each interview was great in their own way. To be honest, I couldn't really pick the number one best interview. No, was there anybody that you didn't get to interview that you really regret? You know, it's hard because I could interview so many people. Right, so many people. You know. Maybe Mike Pettit, you know, Mike Pettit, you know, Ted, Ted used to bust his tail about, you know, Mike Pettit wouldn't be who he is if it wasn't for Ted, you know, like that type of stuff. And I mean, that name came around a bit, you know, there's, there's a lot of people I could have interviewed, but you could only interview so many people, you know, and at some point, you know, I was running out of time and I was like, I just got to cut it here and start editing. But there are some people that, you know, I probably, you know, if I had more time, I'd probably give them an interview and such if they're willing to do it. But yeah, Mike Pettit is one of those names that comes up. Now, I, I remember that there was a, uh, and I can't for the life of me, I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but I can't for the life of me remember um, where, I think I said that already, but <laughs> there was a documentary done by somebody, and I can't remember who, on Jimmy Galante, and it centered around the hockey team that he'd invested in. The Danbury in. Trashers. Yeah, the Trashers. You know, I, is that doc, I, there's something that's in the works right now, I can tell you that. But like not by me, but I don't know if there's anything that's already out, but I know there's something in the works about the Danbury Trashers right now because that was Galante's hockey team. Yeah. And I always and I actually do want to know who the first person Waddell called a rat on your interviews. He didn't call a single person a rat. Really? Believe it or not. Believe it or not. He was just he was just huh? He was having an off day. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know if it's an off day when he talked for two and a half hours, though. Another interview I do want to say that I think is super underrated is Nicole Christopher. Nicole, because 
Nicole is obviously the youngest daughter of Mike Christopher Sr., the youngest niece of, well, the youngest niece on that side with Ted. But she was so, she's not afraid. She's just like Ted and Mike, not afraid to say what she feels. So she was able to say that, oh, you know, Ted was a nerd or Ted is like a huge softy. It's like, it's that side that, you know, people don't really know about Ted. And I think she portrayed it so well, imitating her voice because everybody loved doing that or his voice. Everyone loved doing that. So I thought, you know, Nicole's interview wasn't as long, but it had so much substance in it. And I was so glad she was one of my last interviews. And I'm super happy that she was able to do it because I think she was able to tell the personal side of Ted so well, more than maybe some people would expect because she's so young. She's only like 16 or 17 years old, but she remembered so much and was able to say it. Yeah. I'm thinking about it now. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm kind of wishing that you could have been around like as long as I've been around because I've been watching since probably the early or at least the late eighties, early nineties. And I've seen the guy race everywhere and just been around and in every car that he's ever raced. And, right. you know, I've seen the stories and I've seen all the, the people he's battled with and I've seen all these things. And But what's funny is I, I get the impression that by doing this, you've actually seen probably more than a lot of us have. And I think that <laughs> that's actually really cool. You know, you get to see a lot more of this story, which I think is it, is and you get to you get to watch it from almost a virgin eye because you don't you never really formed that heavy opinion one way or the other like i mentioned in the show that i used to boo and cheer the guy it just depended on the day and uh whatever was most fun at the time like if he got introduced at the speed bowl i'd boo him as loud as possible if he was at thompson and he knocked somebody out of the way that i didn't like i cheered him you know or pulled some move it was just it was a love-hate relationship but on a personal level, I just, you know, I really wish I'd gotten to know him better. But, you know, just I, if I don't race at those cars, obviously, it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. But, again, I really think that where you came in from, you got to appreciate the mystique of the guy even more, you know. Oh, which my is gosh. Pretty, which is really a Jen, fascinating thing to watch. Jen used to, like, Jen jokes me. He's like, man, now you know Teddy. Like, you basically knew Teddy <laughs> without meeting him. And it's kind of true, I guess. There's so much to this could have been a three part mini documentary series for all I know, because there's so much that I didn't use that I could use, but I could only use so much. But yeah, I learned so much about Ted. Like, it's like, man, I really wish I got the chance to meet him. I had the pleasure of seeing him on TV in the tour. But like, you know, I wish I had that chance. But, you know, such is life. It's just, you know, Jim Galante messaged me and it's one of the coolest things Jim Galante messaged me after the doc and he said, now you're part of Mystique Motorsports. And I was like, wow, like that, that's a really cool thing to hear from Jim saying like, no, now you're part of our team. And, you know, Quinn and Jen would say, you know, Ted would be proud if he was here. And like that hit me hard because, you know, that that's a powerful thing. You know, Quinn's mother, Ted's mother-in-law messaged me about like when she saw the doc and that brought me to tears. Because it hits different when it's those people who were that close to him, you know, especially family. So, you know, and I know Jesse asked me, I know you're going to touch on it, you know, why I did it for free. Well, part of it is because <laughs> it's for school. That, that was part of like, you know, it was a school project technically. But, yeah, you, you at this point in my life, I want to start doing things, you know, not for free. I want to be able to get paid for what I do. And I mean, I work at Stafford, so... Yeah, I, but, he. I think. It, yeah, I was like, I, we're treading on weird water here, Jess. I think we got to be careful here. But it, it, the basic gist of it was, this is so good that it's worthy yeah. of more than just praise. And I think but we, I think we kind of smoothed that out. But I'm like, don't. I think you. Des- I think you <laughs> described it well, though. I didn't mind him asking that. Seriously, oh, okay, that's I fine. don't All mind. Right. All right. No, I had no issues with that whatsoever, and it's a legitimate question in a way. You know, it was a gift. It's like this is a guy who deserves to be remembered forever in the New England racing community. And, you know, I didn't really have to pay much for this doc because every, like Stafford, let me use all their equipment. I barely paid anything for this doc. So it's not like I really lost anything financially from it. It's just a gift. It's a gift for all those who meant a lot to Ted and those who Teddy meant a lot to. And yeah, everyone has their memories, but it's just a little bit different when you have that video 
that physical form, that visual memory to help keep that legacy going forever. And don't get me wrong, Teddy's legacy is never going away. Stafford and New England Racing is going to do whatever they can to keep his legacy alive, and rightfully so. I just wanted to be a part of that and give people a chance, especially the younger people who never really got a chance to see or know Ted. This is the man, at least to my best ability. This is the man behind the wheel. This is the man off the racetrack. This is Ted Christopher. So money didn't matter to me. It was just my gift to the New England racing community and a way a way to show that I care. Like going back to what I said, I care and I have a passion for this and I really do want to serve the community and this is how I want to do it. So that's my explanation. Yeah, Jesse's speaking from experience because he's gone to New York City and Seattle and all these other different places to film different documentaries about musicians or comedians or whatever other things. So he's just like, man, this guy's got to get paid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I will admit, I will admit though, you know, there was, I felt pressure, not from anybody, just myself, because this is not just a normal guy. This is Ted freaking Christopher. You know, this is the king. So I felt some pressure doing this doc and, you know, from December to April for a two hour doc is extremely short amount of time. That stuff usually takes a year to produce. So to be able to do it in five months was in was borderline insanity, if not insanity. But, you know, it's cheesy, I will admit. But when I went to Waddell, he gave me a 13 sticker. It was a two sided sticker. So even though I stuck it on the back window of my car, I could still see it on from inside the car. And there were nights where I was stressed out where, you know, I slept thinking about the doc. I woke up thinking about the doc because I cared about it so much. It was like my race car for those race car drivers. That was my race car and I wanted to take care of it. And so there were nights where I was stressed out about it. And I look up in my rearview mirror and I see that 13 sticker behind me. As cliche as it sounds, it was kind of like it reminded me of why I wanted to do it. It wasn't about me. It's about the Christopher's. It's about the Aroots. It's about those who cared about him. And it was kind of like a, a stress reliever in a way of reminding me, like, I just got to get this done because it's about them. It's for them, and I want to be done right for them. So I just wanted to make sure, like, I mentioned that, like, it's for you guys, those who love Teddy, those who even hated him but respected him. It's for all you guys. Yeah, because after he'd passed – Every single person who hated or claimed to have hated the guy, yeah. they were all standing there doing all the tributes as well because they cared. They still cared. Mm -hmm. It was the Dale Earnhardt effect. If you mm -hmm. if you cheered or booed, you still gave a damn about the guy. And that's he had that draw. He had that air about him. And uh, I forget what the date was with his last win. I know you probably got it right off September, the top. Well, uh, Stafford win or all-time? All-time. Uh, September 10th at Thompson. Because I was pit, I think, right next to him. I think I finished second that night. I was, yeah, because I had won the month before and then the month after. And then I, yeah. Okay, so I'm trying to remember history in my head. Yeah. But it's like, if I could, I really kind of wish I'd shared that victory lane the same night that he'd won his last race. But it came up just that much short. Um, but, yeah, I do remember that night quite well. And then, because uh, Thompson, I think, was like once a month. And they were doing like seven or ten races that year. I can't remember which one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it was seven that year. Did they race seven that year? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because I technically won four of them. But, it, but at the same time, you never knew that six days later he'd be gone. Yeah, no one idea. No, Obviously, no one had any idea. But it's just, yeah. it's like I said, when I'm standing there in tech and he's standing right there next to me pitting his car, it's like, Oh, Teddy's right next to us. Cool. I don't recognize the car he's driving, but then he wins in the thing that night, and it's like, oh, jeez, yep. all right. And then, yeah, six six days later, it's just crazy. You know, it's just ridiculous mm -hmm. to think about. And then I went to Stafford, I think, that week or that night or whatever they did the when they stuck the flagpole up in his pit and they had the tributes and all that. I I drove up there that night. I Usually the only time I go to Stafford is if I'm racing there or I'm filming there or if I get froggy and I feel like watching some racing, but – uh it's just such a hard drive to get up there for me. So, um, mm -hmm. it's it, it was it was worthy. It was a worthy pilgrimage to go that night. And oh, uh, I yeah, to see to see all that in the documentary and to see all the stories surrounding it with Narducci and uh, Junior and all the other guys. Yeah. And, uh, it was just it was a good it was a good way to trigger my memory, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Again, um, 
I'm not one of those uh, guys who cries at movies, but it got really close <laughs> a few times. It got really close. So you're not the only one that's told me that. I can tell you there. Yeah. It was, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's just it's that's just that's just genuine emotion. I mean, I I give the Christophers a lot of credit for being open about you know that tragic day and the aftermath because I'm pretty sure for them it's the first time that they've talked about his death since the day that it happened, especially on camera. I know Junior did on the on the the show episode on the PC shootout, but. For Mike Senior, for Quinn, for Jen, Judy, Luke, like for those guys, that might have been the first time they've ever talked about it on camera, and it's been four years. So to you know go back to that day, and I mean, how often do you see Mike Christopher Senior crying? Like it's just that emotion hits, and I appreciate them being able to tell their story and as hard as it was for them. And I told them, take your time. Take your time, take a deep breath. It's gonna be okay, no matter how long it takes. And I think, you know, them being open and not feeling any pressure from me really helped them be able to tell that story. Because, you know, it's a tragic side to the story of Ted Christopher, but it is part of the story and it has to be told. So, and then the aftermath. I mean, what can I say from the the, the first Friday after his death, or Mike Christopher Jr.'s first win, or how about the story of the um, the Christmas party and them all all the Plainville guys wearing Ted's fire suits that he kept for so long. It's just for them being open about that type of stuff really just helps drive that story. And as hard as it is for them, and you could you can see on camera how hard it is to tell those stories, they did it and it, it helped a lot. Yeah, because I remember I was at Thompson when Carafas died, when Hammond died. When Tom Baldwin died and when mm-hmm. uh, Blewett died, mm-hmm. and aftermath of those was sad, but after Teddy died, it was just a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, just completely different. I mean, they did different ceremonies for all the other guys, but when Teddy did it, it was like Superman. You know, it how about just, the wake? Yeah, that was even worse. You know, that was just unbelievable times. Just. And I think the documentary just really sells that story just so well. You know, it just tells every every piece of it, even every little thing, the tributes, the wake, the aftermath, the people. Who, and, and then afterwards, when they come back up again and they start to rebuild their lives afterwards. And it's it's just a really special thing to watch. I think everybody really – and it, I know you just passed the uh, 10,000 views. Oh, yeah. Um, threshold today i think you just posted that right before yeah. we started to record yep. and that's just incredible and that's only been out for since saturday three and a half two days three oh, days. About four days four yeah, days it yeah came out on sat well i released it on saturday because that's ted and mike's birthday yeah jesus so, it's four days ten thousand yeah. i think it's just still i don't think it's just starting at this point i oh. think we're gonna see it spread a lot more what i think what i think helped so much is that it's not. I interviewed 31 people, but you look at the people I interviewed. As I mentioned, older drivers like Avery, middle-aged, Kobe Pitcat, Young, Bassett, and Narducci, and of course, Junior. And then, you know, writers, Sean Corshane. Writers and broadcasters are great at telling stories. So to be able to get Sean Corshane, Matt Buckler, who's known Ted since the 80s, Ben Dodge, who's been around since the 60s, 70s at Stafford, so before Ted came, you know, getting the families, the mother, the sister, sister-in-law, twin brother, wife, nephew, niece, and then the Plainville, the friends from elementary school that still hang out to this day to bring a whole different perspective. You know, Tommy Heslin, who's both a personal friend and helped down the Modify team, helped Ted get the less care Bush North ride back in the 90s. You know, the team owner, Jim Galante, the team members, Waddell and Michael O'Sullivan. It's that diversity of different people from different positions in different parts of his lives that I think was able to tell that whole story. And the amazing thing, and I told Sid about this, and you'll, you see it in Sid's doc too, it's like they're having a conversation, but they don't know it because one soundbite feeds off to another soundbite from a different person. It's like they're bouncing off each other and they're conversing with each other, but obviously they're not. It's different interviews at different settings at different days, but it just flowed so 
well and it blew my mind because i'd never had anything like the biggest video i've ever done in terms of telling the story was probably telling the story of brian narducci which was an eight minute long video this is two hours and 21 minutes but it just it flowed so and then you know lisa root the track owner perspective so it's just a wide array of people from different backgrounds and different ages that i think it was able to tell a pretty complete story about the man, the legend, Ted Christopher. And I think one of my favorite parts of the doc is the Uncle Teddy segment. I mean, that that is one, like that segment, if, besides the emotional part about the plane crash and aftermath, I think that segment gets me pretty emotional because it was just a whole different side and it just makes you go like, oh. Like one person told me at Stafford on Monday in the cards that, you know, they weren't a big Teddy fan, but that documentary gave him, they gave them a lot more respect for Ted and, even somebody messaged me saying, I know nothing about racing. I've never been to racing in my life. I've never watched a minute of it. But man, that documentary got me so, like, I was so into that documentary. And it's like, wow. Even people outside of racing who know me from school were entrenched in that documentary, even though they know nothing about racing. And that documentary was for the racing audience. So it's just, it's the people, man. The people in the doc. The people who gave me the videos. I mean, Paul Folan from Thompson gave me the video of Ted and Tony Stewart racing. I didn't even know that footage existed. I, I mean, that, that is night. cool stuff. <laughs> like to have Tony race in Ted's car, start in the back of the SK feature after doing a match race and win the darn thing. And then Ted coming over and giving him a hug afterwards. You know, Fran Lawler has Howie Hodges collection. If you know racing, you probably know Howie Hodge. Like, He's been a, he was around for ages. His library is insane. And so when I messaged Fran, he just got Howie's collection because, I mean, Howie was like a second father to Fran. So he helped out so much. You know, Scott Nickel, who does photography at Stafford and Thompson, Sid giving me the videos and the interview. Brent, I mean, you said it. The video that you got of Mike Jr. winning his first Legends race did you ever think seven years ago that that video would have as much meaning as it does now? I had no clue at the time. And what's funny is now when we film with Sid, we usually have like radios or some kind of communication device. He's like, hey, get this. Hey, get that. If he sees something. Back then, we didn't have anything. It was basically up to whoever had it. And I was yeah. only really in charge of getting podium interviews. And I'm like, wait a minute this seems kind of important. So I just hit record yeah. and just started filming everything at once. And, you know, I don't know what told me to do that, but I'm really glad that I did because I had no idea how meaningful it would be to these people down the road because I think I said it on Twitter. It was a seemingly just a nice, genuine, cheerful moment that I just saw ha happening around me. And, Little did I know how soon that would come back to say, you know, that's one of the most special moments in probably Mikey Jr.'s life and, you know, a lot of the people around the family. And I remember when Ted died, I took the little screenshot of Teddy with his fist up running down the track and I posted that. And that's probably one of the most um, iconic moments I've ever captured on film. And I don't even do well, film that much. And it's very, thank, it's just very humbling to to know that I actually did something, you know, kind of neat. <laughs> think so. about it like this, Brent. Not many people at the racetrack, very few people at the racetrack got to see the human side of Ted. You were one of the few people, if not maybe the only person that was able to document the human side of Ted while at the racetrack. Not many people can say that because when Mike, when Mike Jr. won the Legends race, Uncle Teddy came out of that gate. Not many people got to see that Teddy on the racetrack. So that's what made it so special and I commend you greatly for it because it, when people think of Ted, the racer and Ted as an uncle, that's going to be one of those clips that will be remembered for a long time because that's where you saw Ted at his most human form at a racetrack. So that yeah. it's it's a special special clip yeah and again I, we, we were standing there with like a couple officials and some people but like it was so dark down in that corner i couldn't even tell if it was mike or ted but i just started <laughs> i just started rolling and like i said i got that picture right here that i That's posted a cool photo. and it's such like it's a screen grab but it's just a great picture regardless yeah. of what it is because it tells 
the human side just in one shot. And I'm like, damn it, I should have. I'm just so glad that I could get that moment before he died, too, which is cool. You know, that's yeah, it's just really special. I mean, that's just I had a what 10 second contribution to this to this uh, documentary, but I'm just so glad it was there. You know, I, you I'm know, glad I and didn't you mentioned the hesitate. 10, you mentioned the 10 second contribution. That's where I kind of didn't it didn't hit me until like when I do these interviews and afterwards, like George said, Jr. is like it meant so much for you to interview me about Ted Christopher. And I thought to myself, wow, it, I never thought about that. Well, you know, Sean Monaghan posts on Facebook saying, I'm so honored to have a low part of that doc. And I'm like, man, I, it didn't cross my mind that the fact that I asked people to be a part of the Ted Christopher documentary itself meant so much to them. And for you to be like that 10 second clip being in the documentary means that much to you. Because that's how much Ted meant to so many people, and I, it didn't really, it didn't really hit me until people like they started saying, you know, thanks for asking. I was like, wow, and that that gave me another idea, another depth of just how influential Ted was to many people. And so, you know, I'm glad you were part of it. I really, and everyone that was a part of this doc, everyone that was in that credit sequence. The doc would not be what it became without y'all. And, you know, they call me a one-man crew. And, yeah, I guess I was, you know. But it was a collaborative effort because everybody that was in that credit sequence helped out in one way or another, where it was telling stories, giving pick, whatever. Everybody had a part in it, and that's what made the doc be what it became. So as much as they thank me, they should thank themselves because they played a huge part in it. And, I mean... The fact that the Christophers trusted me, you know, some kid who hadn't even been around for a full year. And I think the more I started doing it, the more I started talking to them, the more they realized, you know, what I was going to do. But the fact that they trusted me since basically day one when I asked Quinn for an interview, that that told a lot and it meant a lot. And, you know, I've become good friends with that family. They're great people. And that's the best part is that all these videos I do, it's great telling the stories, but it's great to know the people because that's what I love about the racing community. It's the people, the people I get to know, the stories about those people and how they became what they are and who they are. That's what I take most from doing all this stuff is getting to know everybody on a human side of things. You know, Mike Christopher Sr., that's a three-time Stafford champ. You know, he's on a pedestal for me when I first met him. But then I got to know the human. I'm like, ah, screw that guy. But like in all serious, like it's just like, Getting to know them as a person, be friends with them, it means so much. So that's that's what I enjoy the most is just getting to know the people. Like you, Phil, I got to know you through iRacing, through the eSports iRacing series. Yeah. As much of a pain in the tail you might have been during that time. Like, I, I was glad I got a chance to know you. Brent, you know, I only got to really meet you once or twice. But getting to know you guys and meet you guys, like I had the highest, I have the highest regard to say to you because I watched them when I first started coming to Stafford. So being able to get to know these people on a personal level after I got to see them on a higher pedestal, and not to say that my pedestal lowered for them, the pedestal is still up there for me in the highest regard. But being able to know them personally makes it all worth it in the end. Right. Yeah. There's a saying that I kind of live by for the last 20, Two, how many years have I been in racing, Phil? 22 now? Is it 1999? Probably too long. Yeah. 19, More than a year is too long. 1990, <laughs> 1999 is when we started getting involved. So that's 22, right? 22 years. All right. So there's a saying I've lived by since then that I think rings true to everything. It's racing is the most dysfunctional family you'll ever be a part of. Yes. But yes. it is still a family. <laughs> It is a family, yeah. you know, as much as there's drama and such that goes on. And you're, when you're in racing, you know, there's a lot of drama, you know, but what there, in the end it is a family. There was one thing I was actually looking for in the documentary that uh, is something that people forget about. And it was the wreck at Thompson between Teddy and Bo Gunning. And Bo Gunning when he flipped over. Yeah. yeah. And Bo. That's a notable one. Yeah. They, those two hated each other. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember being right in front of it, sitting in the grandstands right in front of it. And Teddy's car, you can watch the fuel leaking out of it, and they hated each other. But Bo yeah. still ran over there and helped pull him out of the car because it's hard to get out of, especially upside oh, down. Oh, yeah, especially upside down. Yeah, yeah. But, but watching that, it's like, yep, 
racers are dysfunctional, but damn it, if something bad happens, they they come together. You know, it's yeah. even if you hate the guy, you're still gonna drag his carcass out of the, the burning car just so he doesn't, you know, get hurt. Well, so, even Nicole, can... what was that? Yeah, I di- I didn't catch that, Phil. Sorry. I said, then you can beat his ass. Right. Yeah. Then you do it in the pits later. <laughs> as long as you're well, okay, like, we're gonna fight it out. Nicole Nicole said it that at the wake, you know. Even the people you thought were his worst enemies were there. Because, you know, as much as you might dislike a person, you don't want to see them get hurt. You know, you know, racing is a dangerous deal and, you know, you never know what can happen. So I think the thing about racing is that as much of a dysfunctional group as it can be, just don't take anything for granted. Yeah. And I think that goes a long way. And for me, you know, I haven't gotten any, any drama, I don't think. I try to avoid it, but it's like. You know, there's a lot that goes on in racing behind the scenes or on the track. And it's just it's part of it. And you have to realize, like, you know, that's just part of the deal. And you just got to deal with it. And the way you deal with it goes a long way. I think that's why I've done a pretty decent job being around the paddock so much as I have that I know what to expect. And I know what happens. And it's just part of the deal. And there's not sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Now, I think that as we're starting to wrap this thing up, uh, I think that you're actually on the correct side of racing right now because if you sat in that driver's seat, you'd probably never get out of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> You do not want me in a race car. I could barely fit in a modified. I tried getting in George Bissett Jr.'s SK Light once. Took me 20 minutes to get in. Took me 20 minutes to get out because my knee was stuck under the steering column. Yeah, that's all the I got to do is make a call to Gary Spinato, and you're in. Just tell me. <laughs> Some people have said that they're like, "Dude, just call up, run a race car. Like, if you want to test the car out, I'll let you test it." I'm like, "Dude, I want you to preserve your bills. Racing is expensive. I am not going to be responsible for the hundreds and thousands of dollars of damage that I will do to that car." Yeah, it's hey. it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> And besides, if you if you really get that itch, you can hop on iRacing like my rig I got right here. You can just go for it. You don't have to pay for yeah. tires. You don't have to pay for gas. You don't have to pay for towing. You don't have to pay a ticket fee. You just go wreck as much stuff as you want. You don't have to worry about it. I will go it. on iRacing just to piss Phil Jakes off. We have a Tuesday night league. You're welcome to come anytime. I don't oh. have iRacing. Oh. You need iRacing. <laughs> You'd be fun on there. If I have the money, maybe. But I'm a cheap sob, so yeah. Hey, Brian, I'm not miserable to race with on Tuesday nights, am I? Uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> as many times as I got turned around last night, I, I'd plead the fifth. But I don't think Phil did that this time, so it's all good. No, I didn't wreck anybody last night. Amazingly, yeah, it was a it was a good night. So anyway, uh, yeah. If anybody hasn't seen that documentary. You, what are you waiting for? You got to get out there. You got to watch it. It's seriously good. Uh, I've watched a lot of racing movies. I've put that in air quotes, documentaries and all sorts of stuff. But when it comes to short track documentaries or even racing documentaries in general, this one ranks very far at the top. I mean, it is just that good. I mean, when you look at how many people knew Ted Christopher on a national level, and when they reacted after his death to mm-hmm. like on like you posted it on the uh, documentary all the twitter stuff yeah i mean it's national like the guy mm-hmm. was a national champion he was a touring champion he ran cups a, a few times i mean again this is i think we're just kind of touching the boundaries of where this thing's going to reach and uh, I think if you haven't seen it again, you got to go see it. So please, please go to – it's on Stafford Speedway's YouTube page, correct? Yeah. I mean, at this point, you could probably YouTube search Ted Christopher and you'll find the doc. It's called 13, The Life and Career of Ted Christopher. So it won't be hard to find. Yeah. Now, what's your next documentary going to be? <laughs> I am taking a break from documentaries for a bit because – Whew, I don't know how Sid does it. Granted, he it took a lot more time because I did this in a matter of five months, which I will never recommend to anybody ever because that was hard. That's a, It's a lot of work. And people who don't know, it's that two-hour documentary normally should take an, a year, maybe two years to produce. Don't do it in five months. But, <laughs> you know, 
maybe one day, like, there's other drivers who have stories that I want to tell. And maybe it'll be a 10-minute video or a 45-minute video. It just depends. But I, I think, you know, I came at the right time, in my opinion, Brent Bill, because, you know, content like that is so big these days, especially on our level, because in our tracks, you know, we don't get that type of exposure that an Atlanta or Daytona or Talladega gets. But Sid, I mean, Sid was ahead of his time, you know, with that type of stuff. And, you know, here at Stafford, we have flow racing. Like, I just came to Stafford at the right time. Granted, we had a pandemic, but that kind of opened the doors for the live stream aspect of things so that I'm able to direct broadcast. I'm able to do video content for people to see. And then, you know, being able to work with you guys and Sid's view, like, you know, Sid has been doing more stuff now. So being able to work with him starting at the Bob Potter race last year, I feel like I came at a good time where I'm able to serve the community. That's the way I want to put it. I'm able to serve the community and give it the exposure that I think it deserves because short track racing, you know, yeah, it has its flaws here and there, there, but it's raw, it's genuine, it's real. Like, it's legit. And that's the thing that I've realized with Cup, with Xfinity and trucks, that – the authenticity just feels like it's missing there. And when I came to staff for the first time, like, man, like these are real characters, people that if I would have watched them on TV, the product would be 10 times better than what the TV product has now on the national level. And it sucks because racing is so expensive and such, and it limits people. And I, that's what I've learned. But like, man, imagine having Bo Gunning and Ted Christopher racing on NBC. Imagine. That would be the talk of the town for so long in racing. So I'm glad that you guys and me were able to do what we do because not many tracks have that luxury on a local level like Waterford does with Sid's View or Stafford does with our crew. It's not even just me. It's our crew. It's a small crew that we do for our live streams, but we get the job done. So it's just... I don't take that for granted. And, you know, I can't wait to start working with Sid. I was going to do the Waterford races, but I had a wedding to go to and the race was rained out. So I'm excited to be able to work with Sid more now that I know I'm going to be in Connecticut for at least another year that I'll be around. I'll be able to do more stuff. I don't know if I'll ever get to the level of Ted Christopher documentary ever again. But that, that That's a whole nother level. But having more opportunities to work with amazing people here in Connecticut in terms of making content. I'm glad that I came at the time that I came. Yeah. I think there's a lot more on the horizon for you with this uh, documentary and your career moving forward, to be honest, if you just make the right um, uh, connections, keep your name out there, keep doing what you're doing actually. And uh, I think you're going to do, I think you might end up just doing exactly what you want to do out of this. So yeah. um, Don't get me wrong. I want to go far. I'm not ready to leave yet. That's the thing. I've only been here a year and a half. I feel like I want to be around just a little bit more because I feel like I'm not done yet. It's, I don't know if you know what I mean. Like I'm just not – I feel like I haven't done enough of what I need to do here before I try to make the next step up. But it's life. You don't know what's next. Yeah, and Stafford is a, a great breeding ground for people who want to get into, say, the broadcasting industry or something like that. And I think, like I said, you just keep doing what you're doing, keep honing your abilities and keep honing what you want to do. And that's exactly the, like I said, that's the best place to possibly do it. And uh, yeah, I think, like I said, stay the course. I think we, I think we're going to see great things from the future. I hope so for my sake. Yeah, definitely. So Phil, any last questions or anything? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always good. You just sit there and smile all the time. <laughs> well, I appreciate your guys' <laughs> messages. I mean, you both re- you both reached out to me, and those messages and such go a long way. And we need that. We need those messages. They're just like, you're doing a great job. Keep or even critiques. Like going back to Jesse, I don't mind the message. <laughs> Crit- critiques go a long way. In one way or another, they go a long way in helping each other out. And, you know, there's nothing offensive. It's nothing personal. You critique to help. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why I asked Sid for help. He critiques to help me. I critique people who are there, like, after me to help them. It goes a long way. So the fact that so many people reached out to me, even people who I didn't know who they were, 
or still are, and just to say, you know, I appreciate what you do. It yeah. goes a long way. Yeah, and to be completely fair, short track racing needs as much positivity as we can coming out of the uh, COVID situation, and yep. in, and com- to be honest, in general. So yep. I've personally I've been trying to make myself a little bit more positive and a little more open to certain things and trying to be better and. I think a lot of other people are along the same track. And like I said, this is a big step forward. It's a big positive thing. You're showing a lot of positivity towards working in sport. And like I said, short track racing, we're all dinosaurs here. But (laughs) we don't have to be. You know, we don't have to be. We could all move forward a little bit better. And I think that we're, we're tracking with especially a younger generation like yourself coming into the sport and helping uh, to push that forward. And I think it's a fantastic, fantastic thing. And I think that we should keep the ball rolling, you know. And so this is a great way to do it. Well, the Embrace is that, those who want to tell our story. Yeah. Huh? Embrace those who want to tell our story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the best thing that happened was, like, everyone has been so welcome to me. I didn't know what reception I was going to get going to the racetrack for the first time. So the fact that everybody was so welcoming, so open – it might have taken some time, but everyone has been so good to me and has been willing to help me out when I say, hey, let's try doing this. Let's try doing that. And that goes for drivers, crew members, families, team, everyone. Just the welcoming environment goes a long way. And that's why, like, whenever we have new interns, I always try to make them feel welcome because the first impression is always important. And so, you know, if there's somebody new at the track, you know, Make them feel welcome. It, it helps so much, and it makes them be like, oh, I'll come back next week. I like this place. I'll come back next week and hang around. They, they seem like good people, and you know, a lot of y'all are good people. So it's that welcoming environment that I got within the first few months, and especially the more I got to going to Waterford and Thompson. It went a long way. So that's something that I tell people, or I want to tell people, it's just if there's somebody new on your team, Make them feel welcome. Make it seem like they've been around a while because it, it does help a ton in the long run. Yeah, and it's an excellent philosophy, not only for a lot of racetracks and businesses, but a life in general. So yep. I do appreciate that type, of sen- that type of sentiment. And that again, that could go a long way towards moving racing and life and everything else in general forward. So I do appreciate it. Again, Phil, I'm giving you one last chance. <laughs> Any final thoughts? I mean, if he ever wants to do another podcast, uh, not podcast, but uh, documentary to this level, I'd love to know the history of Stafford. Oh, man. That, that All the way is. Back in the horse track days, back oh, in the my early gosh. 1900s, wasn't it? Yeah, that, in the late 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. Oh, gonna, my gosh. I was going to get up and. That'd be a 25-part series documentary that would take <laughs> years. Trust me, I would love to do a History of Stafford documentary, but holy mackerel, that would take a ludicrous amount of time. But you never know. I will never say never. You I never was, know. I was actually going to get up and get my postcard, but I can't reach it. But I do have an antique postcard sitting on my shelf that is like a 3 by 5 or something that's of, I think it's a, a lithograph or whatever, of Stafford when it was a horse track like you could see all the stuff in the middle you know what i think i'm gonna get up and get that phil fill in for me for a second (laughs) am i gonna fill in he's not used to that role come on now that's my third wheel you're not fun phil (laughs) i'm never fun that right there oh yeah we had that picture at stafford yeah it's a cool picture it says general view of the fairgrounds yeah, I think it's yeah, it's somewhere in. I don't know if it's in the office or upstairs in the clubhouse, but it's there. I, don't I think it's wanna... on top. It's in the office. I think it's in the office up on top of the there window of the. I've seen it somewhere. Yeah, I got it and out like, of the picture or the plastic. Yeah, like, dude, I'm a huge racing history junkie, so that type of stuff I absolutely adore. So, it it's. I gotta frame this thing. No, you do. <laughs> I got I'll my... give that to me for free. Like, 
I, I love sharing pictures on the podcast. I got my signed Bobby Unser picture. I got my uh, Giacomo Giacomo wow. picture. I got my Stafford. Giacomo Giacomo. Are you serious? Yeah. How many people can say they have something from him? Yeah, I got an actual picture of the old man, and we brought up his kid and how he ended Bobby Allison's career at Pocono oh, and all sorts of stuff. Oh, my yeah. Wow. Yeah, we were doing all sorts of history lessons the other week on Brutal. the show. So, yeah. Anyway, Bonza. Thank you so much for coming on. This actually this actually went over an hour. I think I'm just going to release this as a special episode. Cuz if I did Dude, a normal episode, if I did a normal episode, it would be like two and a half hours long and people <laughs> would just tune out on us. So yeah. I think Sid, sorry bud, but you're going to be editing another one, so <laughs> Bonta, yeah, thank I've you. had to deal with him. I've had to deal with him rambling. Now he's got to deal with me rambling. So yeah, exactly. So Bonta, thank you so much. Not only for the documentary, being a genuinely cool human being, but thank you for coming on our little podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for your guys' support. Definitely. <laughs>